and here's your guest host, Austin Barker. Hi there, everybody. Welcome in. Good morning. Glad you're up. Glad you're alive. Glad you're drawing oxygen this morning. Did you know? Wait for it. You're going to hear that something new. Not new, but... Good to have you with us this morning. But I already said that. All righty. So it's Thursday and it's January 26th, the day after my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. I, t- I, t- I texted her last night at 11 o'clock. I let the whole day go by and meant to call her, meant to call her, meant to call her, and, and just forgot. But I got it in before the under the wire, so... Uh, with me in the studio today, um, if you're with us live on Facebook, and we're glad you are. Hello, good morning. Just a minute while I sip my coffee. Just a second. Just hang tight. Don't turn the dial. Just a minute. Yeah, I have it during first hour this morning. I thought it was the thing that made me get all croaky in the second hour, but now I realize I just get croaky in the second hour with, that, with or without coffee. So I figure if you're going to, it's like college. You know, I, I asked a good friend of mine when I was considering getting married during college. I said, should I wait until after I graduate? you know, to get married. So I'll have, you know, more focus on college. And he said, well, Austin, he said, you can go to college single or you can go to college married. So one of these things is better than the other. And I said, okay, I think I know what you're saying. So I can do the radio with coffee or I can do the radio without coffee. I think with is better. What was I even going to talk about? It's Thursday. It's my own. I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing here. All right. So um, Trump is no longer banned from Facebook and Instagram. Meta, the parent company, has lifted the ban on Trump. And why would they do that? What is their reasoning? What has changed? Because something has to change, okay? So you ban a guy from a social media platform. You say, here are the reasons why we're banning you, because the threat of you inciting violence is too high based on your behavior. Okay, so you take his behavior, social conditions, you add those together and say, the conclusion we reach is that you should not be on this platform. It's not good for you to be on this platform at this point. All right. So then two years later, you, you, don't, wouldn't you think that you would look at those same uh, features, add those together, and see if they still reach the same conclusion? So Facebook says time has gone by and things have changed. Now, it's the things that I'm interested in because they said they did what they did not say is Donald Trump has reformed and he is a new man. And he has demonstrated to us that he is no longer going to be guilty of the types of behaviors of which he was guilty for which we banned him. I just thought that was interesting. So the only thing that has changed to to allow Donald Trump back on is time has gone by. And things have cooled down. Things. So social conditions are different. They don't think that he will... Maybe they don't think that he'll have enough influence left after his dismal showing in the midterm elections... Uh, or at least the dismal showing of his candidates. You know what I mean. So maybe that's the math that they're doing. Trump was, of course, you know, Elon Musk lifted the ban um, on Trump from Twitter several weeks ago. 
and Trump has yet to darken the door of Twitter. Why, you ask yourself? What a great question. Well, because he has a financial stake in the success of Truth Social, his social media platform. But I can't imagine that that is going to last. I don't think he's going to stay off Twitter. When he had something like, what was it, 90 million? It's either 50 million or 90 million. Once you get up that high, the, the, the lines get a little blurry between the numbers. So 50 million, 90 million, 100 million, I don't know how many Twitter followers he had, but he was up there. And I believe on Truth Social, he has fewer than 5 million. I think it's closer to two. Just do the math there and say if Trump is going to run for president again and he wants to get his message out to the maximal number of people again, he is running for president again, by the way. Um, If he wants to get his message out and particularly his fundraising message out as broadly as possible, he's going to want to be on every single platform because there are people, believe it or not, there are people who use one social media platform exclusively and don't even have accounts on other ones. For instance, I have a Facebook account. I do not have a Twitter account. I do not have an Instagram account. My wife, I think, has Instagram but never uses it. She uses Pinterest for the picture part of her social media life, apparently. Um, I do not have, I don't think I have a single other social media account other than Facebook. I think that's right. I could be told I'm wrong. I mean, it depends on if you count like Telegram. That's just a messaging app. Uh, WhatsApp. You know, I don't I don't think of them as social media platforms. I think of those as messaging apps. But because I think WhatsApp is even owned by somebody. Who owns WhatsApp? Gary, do you know who owns WhatsApp? Is that owned by Meta? Uh, I don't know. It's I on my it's on my phone only because when my daughter goes out of the country, yeah, she can contact me that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I, I like I like Telegram as my favorite messaging app because it's extremely versatile. You can do things on Telegram that you can't do elsewhere. You can reply to certain messages. So if if if, if you have three conversations going on, it, it just in your text message thread, if you have three conversations going on, it, you lose track of what you're responding to. But with Telegram, you can say I'm responding to that message right there. See, I'm old. I don't understand all that. Oh yes, you I'm do. Used to talking on. I, I mean, you are old, somebody, but you, but but you understand all. Yeah, texting, right? No, yeah, sure, Gary, sure. Good cover. Yeah, just ma- just manage expectations there. That's all that is. So, um, you know, I mean, I could go through the headlines with you and tell you, you know, what's what else is going on in the world. A lot of um, what's the easiest thing in the world to do is just to look at these different headlines and participate in the typical Christian finger wagging. You know, oh, you bad people out there and doing all those naughty things and the Christ- unchristian things. And um, and 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 I don't, I don't like that portrayal because it's not really finger wagging. It's, that's not what we're doing. We're not saying, you know, you're the bad guys out there and we're the good guys. And, uh, and, and if you could just be more like us, then things would be better. That's, that's not what it's about. I was listening to a podcast by The Economist, and they were doing a feature on, oh, it was on the, how the far right has shifted away from protesting uh, r- issues of race and has shifted more toward LGBT and so the, the LG, anti-LGBT protests are spiking. Well, when they ran the numbers, when they told us the numbers, it became apparent that they just wanted to do a story, and there was no real story there because the numbers didn't support the type of case that they were making. 
um, they literally had to admit that it was a very, very, it was a single digit increase in LGBT, anti-LGBT protest activity. And and even with that single-digit increase in that category, that was still a minority category of what's causing far-right people, by their characterization, they probably characterize me as far-right. Um, by that characterization, they're saying that even then, the anti-LGBT stuff is, is way in the minority. Like, it's only 10% of the things that they're showing up and doing, that they're protesting. So the vast majority of it is still race-related, immigration-related. Na- you know, nation, nationalistic stuff. Anti-LGBT is just a sliver. And they said that sliver got to be a little bit larger of a sliver. And that apparently was worth a story. But the point is that even if it's true what they're saying, even if anti-LGBTQ protest-like activity is increasing considerably, dramatically even, to put that in the category of hate and say that the reason that they're doing it is because, you know, they they think that, you know, they're heterosexual. And so they they think that that's the right way to be. And so they seek to impose their choices, their preferences on everyone else. They don't think that it should even be legal to be different than them. Do you see that how that mischaracterization is like, no, actually, if you really want the truth and if you are actually willing to listen to a thoughtful person describe a conservative position on human sexuality, you would see that we believe that God created us in a certain way, that there are biological limits to that creation, and that if you seek to violate those limits, you're going to crash into things and hurt yourself. And we don't want you to hurt yourself. We actually like it when humans don't hurt themselves. And so that's not an act of hatred. If I hated you, I would say, please go hurt yourself. As a matter of fact, do it in a fatal way. Okay? In other words, drop dead. That's what people who hate people say. I ain't saying that. I'm saying do the good thing because it's good for you and it's good for the world. If you can, if, if you can get hate out of that, then I don't, I don't know that we can even talk anymore because I only talk to reasonable people because I don't cast my pearls before swine and I don't argue with a pig. I don't wrestle with a pig because you both get muddy and the pig likes it. So, all right. Enough of that. Uh, today in history, I'm kind of a history guy. Today in history, did you know, what? I, one of the things I love to do is I love to go back and look at all these kind of separate events that were happening in separate years and see if I can connect some sort of through line and find some common denominators of history. And I don't know, I don't think I can do it today, but um, but it's still interesting and I'm, it's just interesting to see them all together. So um, today was the birthday of Australia. So the British, um, under Captain Arthur Phillip, back in 18, or 1788, guided a fleet and landed at, um, let's see, they had a bunch of convicts on the ship, and they landed in New South Wales, Australia. And so I'm, I'm going to see if I can't do the whole rest of the show in an Aussie accent, all right? So you got to change the sounds of the vowels around, and, you know, especially like, like I'll just give you a great example, okay? Uh, if you say the phrase, rise up lights okay like rise up lights and then you kind of run it all together and you get rise up lights which is how the australians say razor blades okay rise up lights do you hear it now rise up lights that's crazy stuff and so anyway the things we can do with language and especially with our vowels so happy birthday australia 
Let's see what else happened. Uh, today is actually also India's anniversary after a fashion because India, um, their constitution was ratified today back in 1950. So you think of India as being like the old world, you know, but, uh, but in its current iteration as a democracy, it is only 72 years, 73, 73 years old. I got in 2023 now. I got to get it right. All right. Uh, sadly, today was also the uh, second anniversary of the day that uh, basketball star Kobe Bryant crashed and died in a helicopter crash in California. It is the 100. I'm doing some quick math here. 162 plus 23. That'd be 185. It is the 185th anniversary of the very first prohibition law. So that's an interesting marker in American history that Tennessee was actually the first in 1838 to go dry. And um, that did not work. And it has been a cautionary tale, Prohibition has, for all moral people who seek to impose their morality through legislation. It doesn't always work. You can actually create a backlash effect if you go way out past what you have popular support for in your morality. Just an interesting thought experiment, especially when it comes to banning abortion over the will of the American people. Because the will of the American people has been fairly clearly demonstrated that they're way more pro-abortion than we wish they were. And so if we go for broke, we could very well create a backlash and It'll look like prohibition, and no one will ever try banning alcohol in America again, because we tried that constitutionally. We actually had a constitutional amendment banning the production, manufacture, sale, and distribution of alcohol. And uh, look where we are. So, all right, is that enough in terms of history? You want to know about the Dukes of Hazard premiering back in 1979? Gary just, <laughs> whoa, blast from the past. I don't even know the Dukes of Hazard. All I know, I mean, I know that there was like a lot of, well, I know very little about the Dukes of Hazard. A lot of, a lot of fast cars. Oh, a lot of fast cars. A lot of fast cars mm-hmm. and a lot of short shorts. And yes, and Southern people looking very dumb. <laughs> Hold my beer for me, y'all. That's not an Aussie accent. I wonder if they say that in Australia. Hold my beer for me, y'all. They don't say y'all. Um... Let's see. The the Bears beat the Patriots in Super Bowl twenty on this day in history back in 1986. And that's enough, I think. There's other stuff that happened. All right. What else? New Zealand's prime minister resigned. That was interesting to me because um, there's this constant question that we're asking ourselves in the West. Can women have it all? And should they? Okay, that's the quiet question behind it, is, um, is what is the appropriate role for men and women to play in a culture, in a society? You know, there's this, oh, good old days, you know, the guys go to work and provide a living, living and the women stay at home, and single income, and, you know, there, we could get by on a single income, and men, you know, were happy in their stereotypical role, Uh, clawing and scratching for the corner office, and women were typically happy in their role as homemaker and mother and educator and taxi driver, and they had all these hats that they wore, and, and that was the way things were, and that was the way things were supposed to be, because... Well, I'm not sure that we really even knew why, but it felt comfortable, and it was good, and things were getting by. 
And then along comes first wave feminism and says, you know, we would really like the right to vote. Wouldn't it be nice if women had, had the right to vote? Because there are issues that women care about that men don't tend to prioritize very much. And if we had a little bit more say at the voting box, then we might get a little bit more attention paid to these issues that would benefit women. And that made some sense, I think. And so we gave women the right to vote in, was it 1918, I think, that the women's suffrage amendment passed the Constitution. And, of course, that was right during the time that all the men were going over and fighting in Europe. And uh, women had to step up, and they had to go out and fill important workaday labor jobs in the manufacturing segment in order to promote the war effort. And then Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah, and... um, and the women had to go back to the kitchen. That didn't sit real easy. And you had the 20s, the roaring 20s with bloomers and, you know, women testing the limits of social conventions. And, you know, it was considered scandalous, but increasingly frequent to see a woman with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And then along comes, you know, the depression and things get hard and everyone tightens their belts and we become a people of, you know, of... of that could face adversity. We developed some muscles, some rock-hard muscles in our character, and our moral fiber. And then comes World War II and all the patriotism and the circling of the wagons and everybody was on board and, you know, victory gardens and and um, rationing and, you know, couldn't buy any more than a certain number of tires. And, you know, ev- every resource was being marshaled and harnessed for the war effort including women again, and they go back into the factories. But boy, have times changed. And when Johnny comes marching home again, they didn't want to go back. They wanted to assert that role. And second wave feminism is uh, in full swing at that point. And the conversation starts to shift away from we want the right to vote. We want Now it's we want the right to work and to be able to provide for ourselves without having to depend on men. Because after all, what makes men essentially more qualified to provide financially for the family? Couldn't women do that just as well? And after all, there are women out there who are stronger than men and could are more capable than men, and they could fill those roles even better than men. And besides, we've been repressed for too long, and it is time for women to have their day and to have the same rights and opportunities as men. And boy, has that conversation taken on a new life of its own. So, you know, what is the, tr- what is the appropriate role for women in—and and, and, I mean, I was reading today in history, here's a common thread. Condoleezza Rice was appointed on this day as Secretary of State during George W. Bush's, the first African-American female to be appointed to that high of an office. It was the highest uh, African-American female had flown in American— Uh, public culture at the time. So mores were changing, social conventions were changing, and women were flying higher and higher. And Christians didn't know what to do with that, because we're of two two minds on gender. In, In one sense, we feel like it's kind of icky to say that, you know, women's place is to stay at home and to you know, meet the needs of her family, and, and, and she doesn't, she shouldn't be allowed unless, you know, she's not married and there isn't, there aren't family obligations. She shouldn't be, you know, allowed to go out and, I say allowed, 
I just mean it's a convention. It's not a law. It's just a social expectation that, you know, it'd be better if you stayed home and took care of your family. Of course, they're not allowed in our pulpits as pastors, you know, but we don't want to say that you shouldn't work. You shouldn't be entitled to your own, you know, ability to provide. You should probably get a college education, and we always put a caveat, just in case, you know, just in case that marriage doesn't work out. What with divorce rates being what they are, you know, and you might have to end up taking care of yourself, and you should probably have a backup plan. But plan A is probably still, you know, traditional gender roles. Do you see do you see this? This is the this is the tightrope that Christians have been trying to walk. And we've been asking this question for literally two centuries. Probably for 70 centuries, okay? For millennia now. But uh, but in this particular context we're asking it in this way. So, what's the answer to it? New Zealand's prime minister resigns because she wants more time with her child. She was the I think only the second world leader ever, I don't know, at least she was out there in front being a female to give birth while in office. She was prime minister and she gave birth. And so she, and she's billed herself as this family person, like she puts a high priority on family. And she talks about that and she's led with policy issues that are family centric in New Zealand. Of course, she's extremely liberal. And that matters because supposedly women are supposed to have it all. You know, they can have the high-powered career, they can have the corner office, they can, anything a man can do, a woman can do at least as well or maybe better, and they can still have a family, and they can still meet all the, you know, get all the fulfillment and tick all the boxes of being a, a mom. Until they can't. And until the weight of reality rests so heavy on their shoulders that they have to resign. Now, is there more to the story? I'm sure there is. She's 25, 30% popular in New Zealand, and her party, the Labor Party in New Zealand, is going to get a shellacking come this, this fall. And maybe she's just playing political opportunism, and she's getting out while she's, quote, ahead, so to speak. So she doesn't tarnish her political legacy by being thrown out of office unpopularly. Okay, so there's that. But her stated reasons were, I need, to pro- I need to focus on my family. For a leftist woman to say, I'm going to put my career on the side, I'm going to abridge my political career for the purpose of mothering my child, that's incredible. That story is not getting enough attention from Christians, from conservatives. Philip, sorry to keep you waiting so long. I just kind of wanted to get all that in. Good morning, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Austin. No, I appreciate listening to you. I I love the way you put your thoughts together. Thanks. I have some thoughts about women. I was a lay counselor in my church for many, many years. Okay. And uh, invariably, when there were difficulties uh, in a marriage, uh, it was the woman who tried to make some semblance, who made the first uh, foray into counseling, the one who wanted to bring a sense of wholeness and wellness into the family and help the husband grow up. Uh, I had a wife who helped me grow up. Yeah. And uh, when I got saved in 1979, 1980, went to churches and saw that the preponderance of work, of other-directed, loving counsel, 
uh, I'm sorry, of help uh, was done by the women in the church. Even now, uh, in my particular church, uh, it is the women who do many, many, many things. Uh, I remember in the Garden of Eden, it said, the Lord said that men need a helpmate. Uh, the inference being that we don't know how to do a lot of things uh, by ourselves. So I was always and have been a champion of women. Uh, I think they have gotten short shrift. Uh, they're very intelligent. They have beautiful hearts. Uh, what I have seen, though, since my college days is that women run the most now, the most um, anti-family anti-government organizations, whether they are in school boards, whether they run libraries, when they run for office, uh, they're often among the most radical. All the organizations, or many of the organizations they run, whether it's uh, now or other organizations, are run by women. And I'm saying that God made women to be helpmates, and because the enemy knows that women are so vital to our, com our country to raise and nurture that he's gone after them big time and has caused many of the organizations to spring up run by radical women. And that's what I've seen in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Your thoughts? Well, I appreciate it, Philip, and, and, and you bring a perspective that I don't have, and that's the one of the you know of time. I, I, I gave a fairly lengthy history of the, or, or, or somewhat lengthy, of the feminist movement, um, but without the benefit of firsthand information. All of that is second- or third-hand information. I didn't see it happen. I was born in 82. You got saved, and you were born again in 79, apparently, you know, so you were born again before I was born. And uh, so I haven't seen all this stuff. I've seen some of it, you know, the stuff during my lifetime, especially as an adult, when I start, you know, actually thinking about these things. Uh, my two boys are in the studio with me, and this is probably, is this the first time you guys have ever heard about this or thought about this issue of, of you know, what's women's role and what's men's role? And have you thought about that before? Not very often. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's fine. You're not, Edmund, have you thought about it at all? Once or twice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, so it's just interesting as we start to age, we start to think more about society and what society needs and particularly as a gender role. But 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 I think, you know, I, I'm going to go over a couple of things you said, Philip, and, and I need to take a break here. But the women want to work things out in relationships. That's the way it used to be. Women are a civilizing influence for sure. Um, men need women in their life to calm them down and tame them. You know, we're wild. Single guys, insurance rates are higher for single guys. When you get married, your insurance rates goes down. They know what they're about. They know that women calm us down and make us stop and think, and they kind of wave the yellow flag and say, is that a good idea? <laughs> you know? And, I mean, they do. They, they make us sane. And men, we are incomplete. And I, this is a Christian saying all of this. Um, th this is where there's overlap between a Christian worldview and a secular psychological worldview. Um, is, it, all that stuff is true. And I have observed that most of the work of the church is done by women. For crying out loud, the attendance is lopsidedly female. Women come to church more. And I've tried to explain why that is. Is that because of the machismo of masculinity? You know, we've got this. We, we you know, we don't, who needs God when you've got biceps? You know, or uh, I, I can do this. Um, or is it just that the men are... Are, 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 are at work, you know? I mean, they have to, we, we are the guys who goes out and put 8 and 10, 12-hour days, and we don't have the time or energy to devote it. Well, on the weekend, man, we just want to watch college football, 
you know? No, it's deeper than that. What is it? What's, what do you mean by it's deeper than that? I've had men tell me in private, in council, that they say, uh, the Bible is a mirror. Uh, I can't read the Bible because it tells me that the things I think and the things I wish to do are no longer feasible. And I don't want to go to a building on Sunday and hear this. So but, but, Philip, that's down, true of women, too, though. Yes. Women are evil, too. So don't, so it's not fair to men to look at them and say they don't want to go to church because it exposes the evil of their heart. Women are evil, too. And if they went to church, they would see that, too. They left to look in the mirror of God's Word and be exposed to their own well, sinfulness. They, they are evil, too, but see, they're evil in different ways. They are other-directed. God made them that way so they can nurture a husband, nurture a family. Guys are single-minded. They are narcissistic. So for them to go there and to cry and get on their knees to a God is very, very, very unmanly to some men. That's fascinating. I need some women to just come in here and, and, and set us straight, because uh, just a bunch of dudes in here telling, talking about, you know, what's right for women. Um, you know, and Philip, our previous caller, goes easy on women. He, he, he says, when I said to him, women are evil too, he says, yeah, but. And, it's, and so anytime you have but in a conversation, you take everything that's before it and erase it in favor of what's after it. Okay, so yeah, women are evil, but they're evil in different ways. And what he means like that is like less sinister ways. They're, women are just not as evil as men. And so Philip's pretty hard on men. And I understand that because I am too. Okay, and I tend to think that guys are usually the culprits. <laughs> okay, and Evan, you're shaking your head. Why do you think that? Why do you think that men are more? You think that men are more evil than women? But but just make a comparison between your dad and your mom. Who's more evil between your dad and your mom? <laughs> Those are the men or women you know best, right? I don't know. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to get in trouble if I say it's you. No, um, but 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 you have that instinct, right, to say that men are usually the culprits. They're the dangerous ones. They're the ones that do the most social damage. More than women. I don't I don't I don't think that's true, but it feels true. And so, yeah, it's women who are in church. You know, they have they're the spiritual ones who have this, you know, this this the, the, this sentimentalism that helps them to relate to God better. They're usually the ones who want to work out the relationship. They're not the ones, you know, it's the guy who's like, you got to drag him kicking and screaming to counseling, right? It's the woman who's asking the husband to go to counseling. I don't know about all that, okay? I think there's a lot of mud in that water. But I do know this. I, I think you can take this one to the bank. Women are biologically suited. They are biologically programmed toward nurture. Okay, God has even given them body parts that help them in that way. And there is a, a, a tidal wave in our culture of denial of biological markers. We're denying biology right and left, down to the fundamental level that you can't even say what a woman is anymore. Forget what her role is. You can't even say what she is with any clarity. Christians can say what a woman is with clarity. A mother, a woman is a person capable of bearing children, and she's got the body parts to back it up. That's what a woman is. Okay, it's biological, it's genetic, it's chromosomal. A woman is somebody who has two X chromosomes. Okay, a dude, a guy, is a guy that has an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. It's that simple. It's really, really simple. 
I'm not saying it's easier, it's convenient, or it's pleasant, or it's 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 uh, straight, you know. But it's very easy to see what's true. Then you start with that as your basis, and you build off of that. Okay. So what's a, if we ask ourselves, what's the right role for women and men in society? Is it a, is it right for men to go to work and for women to stay at home? Well, ask that question of biology first. Start with that as a baseline and then move out from there. I wanted to ask Philip this question and didn't have time, so I'll ask you instead. Are women at their happiest when they're fulfilling a traditional role? Staying home with the kids, providing the nurture. Are women at their happiest? Because that's the question that has a lot of traction in our society. Emin, what do you think? Are, do you think that women would be at their happiest if they were staying at home and parenting like mom, like, like Megan does, like your mom does? What? You don't know. Okay, and that's fine, okay? That's why I invited you, you and Peter both on here. Peter, do you have an opinion on that? Do you think that women would be happier if they stayed home rather than if they went out and took a job? Well, that depends on the person. What do you mean by that? I mean, because some people will sometimes be happy doing what, doing the normal things. and then, What do you mean by normal? Do you mean like staying at home and yeah, taking care and, of the kids? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But and then there are other people, other women. Who will want to go out and make jobs or anything like that. Yeah, participate in society, have a career. Is one of those better than the other, do you think? I don't really know. Okay, that's interesting. Um, because I, th I, don't th I think you're going to get exactly the answer that Peter gave from our society at large. You're going to say, well, it depends on the person. And it depends on what a woman wants, you know, because some women will get their fulfillment from going out into society and participating in the labor market and all that. That's where they get their, you know, that's what they were made to do. You know, trust your heart, lean into how do you feel, all that stuff. And so whatever floats your boat and whatever makes you happy, rather than saying, what was I designed for? Okay, and if we ask the question of people's feelings, and if we ask the question of people's biological reality, we may well come to different conclusions. Gene, welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, boy, after I call, a lot of women are going to call in wanting to burn my body, but this is here I go. Oh, boy. And my observation, my observation of my wife and my career. Uh, should I start with my wife or with my career? Uh, you choose. Where do I start? Huh? Okay. My wife. My wife was a uh, professional violinist and teacher, and she also worked in the area of dietetics and nutrition for a while. Okay. And very, very harried, very, very hard. And now we have extenuating circumstances here, uh, maybe not so much more pressured with a, an autistic, now he's a middle-aged man, that we care for. My wife has never been so happier than being 100% domestic. She loves it. And she tells me how much she loves it. And how much she just she just enjoys loving her her husband and her son in this domain. Okay, hang on, Gene. Let me let me, let me pause you there and ask and and query that a little bit. Okay, I'm going to probe. 
a person who does not support traditional gender roles, okay, woman at home, man working, a person who does not support those would look at your wife and say, good for you, don't impose that on me. Okay, so she's not imposing it upon them. Okay. She's telling them uh, her, her own experience. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that I can tell with God put in her heart. Even, even as a young adult, and, and I didn't know her as a child, but I'm sure as a child she wanted so much to be a mother, a caretaker, uh, 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 a, taker of, a caregiver of a home. Okay? She has that in her. It's innate in my wife. I see that. Even in the, in the manner of how she expresses herself and discusses relationships. See, I, I can't discuss relationships. I have no idea what relationships are about. I don't, I, honestly, I really don't. I mean, I'm more more technical and, and more mechanical and that sort of thing. Okay. Now, my career observation, you ready for this? Sure. Uh, I worked around a good number of women, and, uh, and in my own perspective, I used to have what I called my, uh, my worker misery index. <clears throat> and my worker misery index was inversely proportional to the uh, ratio of... Uh, of uh, men to women. In other words, more women the more, uh, in, in our laboratories, the more miserable I was. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, <laughs> and what I've also noticed in, in some of the conversations I've had over the years with some of these women, and what I've sensed from them is that they weren't too happy. I've never seen a very, very happy, 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 contented uh, 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 female scientist. Uh, and and in, when they would talk, what I sensed, their level of happiness came from their families, their children. So, okay, girls, come in, call me up and burn my body. I'm, I'm ready for it. Thanks, Gene. Appreciate the call. Appreciate the contribution. I, I mean, it's definitely not PC what Gene is saying. Um, I don't so much care about what's PC and what's not as if I know what's true. I'll say true things that are not PC. Um, I be I mean politically correct if you don't know what PC is. Um, but I guess my question for Gene would be, and 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 by say my question, what I'm doing is just standing in for people who would disagree. The question is, did God put that desire, that domestic desire, in your wife's heart, or did society? Okay, is that an in, you called it innate? There's an innate desire. Okay, for one thing, fine, good for her if she has that. But there's a lot of women who don't. I'm reading a book um, on Audible right now called Shallow, Self-Absorbed, and Something Else. I can't remember. Um, it's it's basically childless. Shallow, single, and self-absorbed, something like that. It's three S words. But the point is that these are women who have made the choice deliberately, self-consciously, to be childless for their entire life. And they're celebrating that. They're leaning into that and saying that that is one of the goods. That's That's the good thing for them. And they're not seeking to impose that on you. They're just seeking to resist from you any impulse, any, you know, uh, vestigial traditional impulse to say that women are at their happiest, which is the point that Gene's making. Women would be at their happiest if they were fulfilling the, if they were leaning into the domestic instincts that God has implanted in their heart. Do you believe that? I think that's less and less so. All right. In the modern, in, in our modern age, you're not going to find women who will agree with that. They're not going to have that domestic instinct. And again, the Christian worldview is comprehensive enough to account for that. Because in Romans 1, it says, lacking natural affection. Without natural affection. That's one of the characteristics of the fallen human heart, is they don't have 
those God-given instincts that Jean's wife has. Okay, my wife has them. She doesn't really aspire to go out and join the rat race. She's happy at home. That's what she wants out of life. Okay, and but but if she didn't, if she wanted to go out and get a job and pursue a career and further her education, and 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 these two boys and my four girls, if she said my choice for them and for myself is to put them into a school, and to go out there and pursue my own career. Am I on solid ground to say to her, no, God wants you at home? That is the real crux of the issue, is can we look at society and at individuals in that society and say, you would be better off? The good thing is this. Women stay at home. Men go out and work. That is the best form of question you'll get on Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Welcoming Courtney to the show this morning. Courtney, thanks for calling. You're welcome. Um, I definitely don't feel like I have the answers, but I feel like I could just call in and give you a little bit of, I don't know, added conversation or insight. Um, I used to work full-time corporate marketing. Mm -hmm. I worked full-time retail management when I had my first child, then went to corporate marketing, had my second child, realized for myself it was just a lot trying to be a wife and mother and accomplish a career, and I have always had a desire to work. I love working, um, but now I am a work-from-home mother. I have a couple different streams of income. Um, so there you go. That's my background. If you have questions, want to add to the conversation, <laughs> I just thought I could share, and I definitely don't feel like Jean was um, wrong or right, to be honest. I mean, Coming from my perspective, you know, there were a lot of times I was not happy working because I was being pulled so many different directions. Do you think that guys feel the same way as you just described? Um, or is it different is a for really a woman? a really good question. So, so my husband does work full-time. He is one of the hardest workers I know. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel like sometimes he wishes he could do some of the things that I now get to do um, with my children. However... I think it may be a societal thing that he's like, nope, I work, I do this, I, you know, I don't get to go to those appointments or get to go to those school functions. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I think it's honestly just part of kind of the brokenness of the world, and I don't think we're ever going to get it right. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you to give me some advice, okay? My yeah. wife comes to me and says, Austin, I want to go to work. And I say, okay, that's fine, because actually I would love to homeschool. I'm, I'm a teacher by training. I would love to homeschool my six kids. Mm -hmm. And so she's able to go out there and provide a living because she's a very smart woman, very capable. And she's, go, she's able to go out there and provide the same income. And we live a similar lifestyle. And I stay home and parent the kids. You okay with that? Honestly, I think I, I mean, from my perspective, yes. Does that work in my family dynamic? No, but I don't mm -hmm. think there's a wrong or a right when it comes to that. As long as I think it has to be a joint parenting um, situation, regardless whether but, the husband's working or the wife is working. What about again, the... I still work. I still work full time hours, mm. but from home. So I am actually working and keeping the house and doing the child thing. <laughs> Do you resent the fact though that you're working two full time jobs basically and getting paid for one? Honestly, I love it. And that's the weird thing about it. That's why I said I don't feel like I have the right answer, but I'm the happiest I have ever been, as busy as I am. 
Well, I mean, you're obviously high capacity. Can you generalize from your experience to the experience of other women who are maybe not as fortunate as you are or, or as talented? So I have, again, like I said, I've worked full-time retail. I've worked full-time corporate. Um, I have done the entrepreneurial thing, which I'm doing now. I've done contract work, which I'm also doing now. Um, and I've seen women who are just doing that, and I see the burnout, and I see this, like, kind of like their fire from within is a little bit dampened. Um, isn't the reason for that, though, the fact that they are doing two full-time jobs? Because the burden of, of domestic work still falls disproportionately on women. And so they're having yeah, to work full-time, does. and then they have to come home and do all that. You're fortunate enough to be able to do that work from home, and you can maybe double dip. But they have to do yeah, exactly. those two things separately. That's unfair. It, I, I would say it's definitely unfair, but there has to be an understanding that if that's what you choose for your family. And like when I was working full-time corporate, I had to come home and maybe the laundry didn't get done every single day. Maybe it was an every three-day thing. And I think that has to be an understanding. If you choose that, does it put strain on maybe how your household runs? Absolutely. Got to go. Like I said, I don't think there's a perfect answer. Thanks, Courtney. <laughs> I love your thoughts. I'd love to talk to you again. We'll be back after the bad news.